Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is my friend, April Booth, Chief Operating Officer of TAG Advisors. Thanks for joining me, April. Thanks for having me, Amy. So excited for the listeners to hear about you. And um, I know that you've mentioned that you listen to some of my podcasts, so you probably know one of my very favorite questions is at the beginning, talk about how you got into the industry. Walk us through that journey. Sure. Um, you know, I think from listening to your podcast, I, my answer is not that unique in its simplicity, which is it was a complete accident, right? I, uh, I did not intend to do this job. Um, I was built for nonprofit work. I, I imagined an entirely different career. And uh, at 21, I moved to a new town in upstate New York. And honestly, I needed a job. I knew no one. And um I didn't have a real direction I planned to go. And the first person I met was my neighbor and his sister worked for a financial advisor and they needed um, an office manager. And I had a real hesitation. I grew up in a really poor family. Money wasn't something I understood. I had never had it. I, I only knew what life was like without it. And I kind of had a resentment against the affluent. I imagined them to not have real problems and really wanted to work with people who had a different set of needs. And, uh, but at the same time, I needed a job. And so I thought, uh, you know, I'll go try this out and get a job until I can find this, you know, where I'm meant to be uh, was kind of the idea that I had. And this series of events just unfolded for me. I went to work in that advisor's office who subsequently became my mentor and he, in a short amount of time from joining the firm, his father was diagnosed uh, with terminal cancer. And I had been there for maybe four weeks. I was brand new. And um, I didn't even under, I didn't have an IRA. I didn't know what one was. I just scheduled appointments and filed papers and, um, you know, served coffee to people. And he, he left. He went to stay with his dad for the last few months of his life. And he had a full calendar and he just said, you'll be great. Just sit with them and listen. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not even sure I like these people. And also I don't know how to help them. And, um, and so I would, you know, I won't go into a lot of details about what it was like back then. It was 25 years ago almost. And um, I'm sure I broke some rules, but I would sit with them and listen. And what I learned was that they were just normal people, you know, just like the people I grew up with. They just happen to have uh, money, but they had the same fears um, and the same concerns for their children having a better life than they had had. They were worried about losing their job and losing their home, and, and they wanted to be heard by someone, really. And we spent a little bit of time talking about money, which I wasn't super great at, but I got better over the years. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking about their life and their dreams and their goals, and I was really good at that. That is that was a unique ability of mine. And I didn't even know that it would apply here. I didn't understand what a big part of the job it was. So I, I did that for several months. I met with all those clients and um, said all the things I was supposed to say in those meetings. And when he came back to the office, I mean, I was just completely hooked. And I remember the conversation. I said, I don't want to work for you anymore. And he, he panicked a little bit. And he said, it won't always be like this. Like I'm back, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, no, 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 I'll work with you, you know, but I don't want to work for you. I would like to do what you do. 
I, I think I have found a home here. And um, that was the beginning of my journey. Shortly thereafter, I was fully licensed and client facing. And I spent many years in that role. And, and I, I, I knew I had found a home uh, very early on because of the relationships that I'd built in those few months with those clients. April, was he in the independent space? Is that where you spent most of your time? Or did you explore a different segment of our industry? Yeah, he was in the independent space. He was with a small um, regional broker dealer and, and that experience shaped the experience I was going to seek out for my entire career. I was born here in the independent space. And, but, you know, he did have training. He had originally been at, at a warehouse and it had provided him with an excellent training program and had geared him toward the CFP and the the idea, not so much the CFP itself. I'm, I'm not necessarily endorsing that. I did benefit from learning under someone who practiced comprehensive financial planning, right? He wasn't just a money manager. He wasn't just a CPA or just a this or that. He he brought to the table a comprehensive view of the client. And, and I found that was somewhere that I could thrive. I could outsource the pieces I didn't know, but I knew they were important. And then I could learn the pieces that felt really intuitive to me um, and provide this broad experience for the client and do it any way I wanted in the independent space. I, I have uh, never related to those folks that do it another way because this is all I know. So um, you're right. A lot of people in the independent space and that are with Cambridge and maybe we just attract people like that have, you know, fallen into the love of this business accidentally, but some of how you articulated what you fell in love with, I think personally, those are the reasons we don't have more young people or women or other um, segmentations of our communities attracted to our industry. So any thoughts from you on like, how do we take that messaging that you just beautifully delivered and articulate that to a broader audience? Well, I work on that a little bit within, you know, some of the councils that I serve on at Cambridge and I work on it in my own community. I I feel really compelled to attract young people to the business. I know it certainly at 21 when I came into the business, it changed the trajectory of my life. You know, it it laid out a path and a career for me that I couldn't have anticipated and I would never um, change. And particularly females, I think we have a unique ability to listen and empathize that makes us really great advisors. I certainly have been mentored almost entirely by men. And so I've, there's no sting there. I think the big disconnect for a lot of young people and a lot of females is that they're risk adverse. And so I wish I could say out loud in a, in a, maybe a mass produced podcast like this one, <laughs> I guess I can say, you out can loud. say it. <laughs> I can say it out loud that you can, you can outsource the risk. Um, you can bring your unique talent and ability to this job, unlike many others, and outsource a tremendous amount of this, the stuff that you aren't as interested in. I mean, we're one of the few career paths still that I consider to be highly professionalized that don't require a specific degree path. They, it doesn't require, you can have an English degree or a biology degree or no degree at all. And you can be really successful at this job. And so for young people who are, and I think the CFP program getting into the graduate level um, arena now where some colleges are offering this kind of dual tract where you graduate with your uh, bachelor's and your CFP at the same time, that will help. Um, 
But really, I think that most young people need to hear that if you have a talent or a, a love of people and an energy for serving people, you can learn everything else. You know, I often say to my staff, I can teach you any skill, but I can't, I can't necessarily teach you how to really want to serve people. And if you have that talent and that desire, I think you fit really well here. We talked about what you did in your early beginning career. So let's fast forward and skip a little bit in the middle and we'll come back to it. But let's talk about what a typical day looks like for you today. You're the chief operating officer of our largest on most days enterprise. Um, What does that look like for you? Talk about your role today. Well, TAG is unique uh, in my role at TAG is unique in that essentially I've just replaced my individual uh, wealth family client with advisors. Advisors are my client today. That's who TAG Advisors serves, you know, that we serve the, the advisors that join Cambridge. And on a really granular level, our day starts every day at 845 with a management team meeting. There are 20 of us or so on that call. We provide a ton of services within TAG, and my job is to coordinate logistically how all those services are provided in conjunction with our partnership with Cambridge. So we have a team that's, you know, that uh, services the retirement plan community. We have a team that services um, advisors with insurance needs. We um, we have an operations team that deals primarily with just escalation and and problem resolution because there there's always you know something's always going on in the background we run some team directed models at tag and so all those things take they need to work within the cambridge infrastructure and the other thing we do as a team is we we're a little bit unique in our osj model in that we're decentralized so we have eight osjs within our um enterprise eight individual supervisors and on that morning call, those folks bring the voice of the advisor to our management team. And because, you know, at Cam- I have always felt heard at Cambridge. I, I was here as an independent advisor for five years before I joined TAG. And I never had any hesitation picking up the phone and calling Cambridge and asking a question or, or sharing an opinion. But I do think for the average advisor, they can start to feel uh, overwhelmed by the size of our enterprise and the size of Cambridge. And so what we are able to do because of our scale is bring all those voices together and then come as a singular voice to Cambridge and share the field's response, their opinion, their suggestions, their concerns, and do it in a way that creates a concise path for Cambridge to respond, which um, it just makes a really efficient line of communication. And a big part of that is my job. I'm the liaison between our enterprise and you. So um, I spend a lot of my day doing that. Um, I spend a lot of my day managing a team that onboards advisors to Cambridge. And it's the same role. It's just that everything is new, right? So when they join, we want to be that first experience for them at TAG needs to reflect really well of our enterprise and really well of Cambridge. So our, our, goal is to make sure that they feel acclimated in a, in a way that allows them to continue to do business really seamlessly, um, that they feel prepared when they're making this big decision. We'll do it 50 times a year. You know, they'll do it once. And so we just, we, we spend our day 
somewhat anticipating the needs of our advisors, but also listening to them and then bringing them to you. And I, I spend a lot of my day doing that. Yeah, well, you're very good at it. And we are lucky to have you as a part of our Cambridge Nation for sure. Um, I think your relationship with our company and doing all the things you just described hopefully are making a difference in the lives of both your existing advisors and new ones that you're onboarding. I think our personally, our core values tags and Cambridge is a very aligned, in particular, flexibility. So talk about what it's like in your world as the chief operating officer to manage all of the varying and different personality types and business models. And, um, you know, I think we we first focus on core value match, both TAG and Cambridge. And then if the core values match, we're pretty open to what comes after that, but it can be challenging. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I think the buzzword is advocacy, right? So I I would say that's where we spend 90% of our time. Sometimes that can feel like conflict, but what I really think it is is opportunity. So we have if we we have almost 400 advisors at TAG now, and we have 399 different business models. <laughs> so, right. And we embrace that because we are fiercely independent um, ourselves, um, our leadership and our management team and our financial professionals are fiercely independent. And we value that independence. And we have created a place where entrepreneurial advisors thrive. And that means something different for everyone. For some folks, thriving means work-life balance. They want to spend less time doing the things that traditionally advisors would do and more time outside of the office. Um, and so we try to source uh, solutions that allow them to do that. And just like you do, right? And, um, and so we create services around need. And, uh, and then we try to align our core competencies with those services. And so it's it's no different than when I was a client-facing advisor. Every client didn't look exactly the same, which didn't mean that my skill set didn't apply across a broad range, right? So some had a little more assets, some had less, some worked in blue-collar jobs, some were highly professionalized, some were women, some were men. I mean, we have this same melting pot of personalities and people. And our job really is to say, is your ask reasonable? And if it is, can we accommodate it? And not get into the business of figuring out which way's right or who's got the best. Just everyone has a need and we're a service organization. So try to match those two things up. That's great. And process becomes key, right? So you can keep track of all of that, which I know for a fact you're really, really good at. And that leads to probably something you have to spend a fair amount of time at the size of your organization, which is managing and coaching the staff. So let's talk about them a little bit. And this might flow into a little bit of the financial professionals as well, a recurring theme in the industry right now, partially because of regulation, but just partially because that's, you know, immediate gratification is what drives our, our worlds today in so many ways. But the theme really is change and evolution and doing things faster and better how do you coach both, let's start with the team. How do you coach the team through that kind of environment? And do you, I guess, am I right? Do you spend a fair amount of your time having those kind of conversations? 90%, uh, 90% of our time probably. So I think the, for me, the approach that has worked the best is addressing both my staff and our advisors by leading with how whatever I'm about to tell them will make their life easier. 
right? So there are certain things that I would love to see that would make my life easier, but um, they wouldn't necessarily serve the folks on the other side of the equation as well. And so what what we try to do when we're choosing those kind of coaching moments, we we have a uh, at TAG, we have a call every Wednesday. It's for our financial professionals and their staffs and their teams and our staff is on. And we basically highlight uh, anything that we feel is really relevant that's come out from Cambridge in the last week. Anything that we're seeing in the industry that we feel is relevant for the reps to hear from us as their leadership organization um, and their partner. And then, you know, we save some time for, you know, practice management, product due diligence, all kinds of other pieces come at the end of that call. But the general idea always is, how can we make your life easier? And so when I'm coaching my staff, I might say something like, you can do it that way, but if you'll do it this way or think about it this way, it might relieve some of the pressure of that particular task, or it might make it more scalable, more repeatable. You might be able to delegate it if you automate it. And so uh, those kind of conversations. So when we're dealing with our financial professionals, it's easy to say, you don't have to do this, but man, if you will try it this way, it'll eliminate these next three things that are very frustrating. And if you can frame everything in the in the light of how it best serves the client, you get a lot more buy-in, so. What happens if you don't get buy-in? What's, mm. what's the next step after that? I know there's people out there thinking, yeah, I've tried that, but it's not working. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when it comes was- to regulation. Sometimes we have to do things even if they don't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, that sometimes telling the truth about that really helps, right? And when people are like, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Then I, I just say, I can't make you, but, you know, understand the consequences, you know, understand the potential fallout and where the ripples are. And clearly when you value independence as much as we do at TAG, uh, we have plenty of those conversations, right? When people say that doesn't make sense or that doesn't serve me, or I don't want to do it that way. And they have the right to be wrong. They also have the right to be right in a different way up to the point where they've hit a wall. And here's the real value of being truly uh, working in the spirit of serving advisors is when their way doesn't serve them well and they come back, we welcome them back, right? With open arms and say, no worries. I'm glad you tried it. I'm glad you feel ready to make a different choice and we're happy to help as opposed to this idea that we're right and you're wrong and that just doesn't serve anyone. And it isn't actually even true because sometimes um, advisors say, well, I think we should do it like this. And it turns out it's a great idea. And we just haven't looked at it from that perspective necessarily. And we bring it to Cambridge and everyone tosses it around. And then sure enough, it's completely doable. And um, if we're closed off and so attached to our own ideas, we won't know that. So we need to, there's a fine balance between having a tried and true and vetted process, even regulation, right? There's a fine balance between what they write on the page and the interpretation at the broker-dealer level, the interpretation at the uh, advisor level, the enterprise level. And so I'm just glad that we can keep having the conversation. You know, there's not very many times I feel like where the door has to be completely closed. Clearly there are things that, that advisors are just not allowed to do. And we don't have a lot of that. You know, we have a lot of contemplative conversation around interpretive guidance of things, but we don't have a lot of advisors who are just, you know, 
putting their feet down and refusing to do what the industry is asking of them because we vet those folks on the front end and so do you. So yeah, yeah. yeah. You it's it's coming through loud and clear that you have a servant's heart. And I think that serves us well what comes along with that as I'm listening to you is just being transparent about why we're asking for something and being mm -hmm. open to listening. Our best ideas come from our financial professionals and, and those of you that run the enterprises and organizations. So um, listening becomes really, really, really important for sure. Let's talk a little bit about financial. You've talked a few times that you were an active advisor for a while. You've evolved over to COO of an organization. How did that happen? And what made you decide to give up being an active advisor? Being a mom. Um, <laughs> so for me, the path to tag was it was a little sad, you know, I ran my own organization and primarily my role there was as an active client facing advisor. Uh, like I said, it was no exaggeration. I fell in love with that work from day one here. And, and it is where I found the most rewarding experience of my career was working with clients. And then uh, my husband and I adopted and I had two offices in two cities and nine staff and a very large practice, you know, in order for me to thrive. What that meant for me at that moment was that I would be able to spend more time at home. And I felt, um, I didn't know what was coming, but what I did know was that I could not serve my family and all of those clients, both with the type of integrity that I wanted to serve them both. And so I had to make a decision and I decided to step away from this large practice and retain a very small amount of clients and work out of my home. Uh, most of those clients I'd worked with for probably 20 years, almost at that point, 15 years. And I kind of parse it down, you know, for the advisor looking to change the way they work, I would say my litmus test for who I kept and didn't, uh, and didn't sell with the rest of my practice, my litmus test for the clients that I kept was who, if they were calling on a Saturday, would I not mind answering the phone and, and which clients would be okay if I picked up on a Saturday and said, I'm at a soccer game, I'm going to need to call you back. I wanted that. I wanted those clients and the ones that really knew who I was and the ones that I really knew I could, I could be myself with and still serve them well. And I had experienced tag as an enterprise over the years at Cambridge events. And I knew them to be a reputable organization and I knew their advisors and their um, leadership team to be really thrilled with their experience. And I had an advisor that needed a home and I reached out to them to see if they would um, accommodate him. They thought they would be a good, good home for him. They offered me a job uh, part-time and I, I didn't really know what it was. I came home that day and I said to my husband, I, I met with uh, Greg Rains, our CEO. And I said, I, I think I have a new job. And he said, doing what? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know, but he's just the kind of guy you can't say no to. So he offered me a job. I said, yes. And so I was able to keep uh, a small practice for many years and work at TAG. As you know, the babies grow up and um, suddenly all that work-life balance that I needed, it didn't need me. <laughs> and so I had the opportunity to grow in my role and TAG allowed me that opportunity. And it didn't take long. I'm highly opinionated, as most people know, and uh, and I'm pretty energetic. And so I, I saw the needs that my skill set fit here. And I found 
I found a path for myself to grow here. Ultimately, what I learned in this larger enterprise environment was that I love serving advisors almost if not more than I love serving the individual wealth management client. Um, and honestly, while their needs are really important and it's a big job, it doesn't carry the same weight as managing the wealth of individual families. And so I was able to transition into this role. Now uh, with 400 advisors and a really you know, a busy every day, there came a point where I had to choose who my client was going to be. You know, I never wanted to be in a position uh, at TAG where if a client was calling and an advisor was call calling, I had to make a choice. And so I did make a choice to move into completely uh, advisor-facing role at TAG, and I no longer have a private practice, but that's very recent. And, uh, and you know, that transition has been tough. I had to deal with my clients you cannot call me for six months, not for anything. And we're friends, a lot of us. And so I really needed a new advisor to build his own relationship. It's funny because I had known him for a long time and I had been giving out his business card and telling my clients, if something happens to me, this is who you call. And so um, when the day came, I called all my clients personally and every phone call I said, well, the bad news is uh, you're you're now going to work with someone else. The good news is I didn't have to die for that to happen. <laughs> like there's been no there's been no tragedy. So you know I do think that, and, and I don't know if we'll talk about this more or not, but there's a huge transition coming. Many advisors are going to need to plan an exit strategy soon, and this handoff is critical. And if I left the door open for my clients to keep reaching out. They just wouldn't have built the kind of relationship that I was able to build with them with this new advisor. So I'm almost there. I'm like coming up on my six months and I can just call my friends and see how they're doing and ask them if they like their financial advisor. And I'm excited. for that. And in the meantime, I have this new passion and this new love for serving the financial professionals at TAG. And I'm as I'm as enmeshed in it as I was with my individual clients. I feel like these are relationships that are meaningful. They go well beyond the workday. Um, most of them, if they call on a Saturday, I will answer. And the ones I won't, I just don't know well enough yet, but I'll get there. The wisdom that you employed as you were trying to make those decisions is just really um, to be applauded for sure. Because I think some of the messages I just want to touch on a little bit deeper. Um, when you made that first choice, and I'm using that word really selectively because when I'm coaching working moms here in leadership, I have to spend a lot of time helping them understand that a choice does not equal failure. There's still a moment, there has to have been for you through a couple of these big transitions in your career and your life here, where you were faced with a choice and giving something up did feel a little bit like failure, right? We all come into our lives as working moms thinking, I can do it all, I can have it all, I'm Wonder Woman. We are, we're Wonder Women, but sometimes we do have to take a step back and make choices and choices does not equal failure. But how do you feel about all of that? Well, I tell you, I, you know, I took the biggest pay cut of my life to take this job. And and I'm five and a half years in, and uh, it was certainly, it has certainly paid off. But you don't know that in the moment. And I think when you're, when you come to these 
these forks in the road, um, I think you got to, you know, especially folks in our business who do have that kind of servant spirit that really their purpose really is to help enrich the lives of other people, right? Our purpose is to provide a space where our entrepreneurial advisors can thrive. I wanted my clients to have that same experience. When you come to a fork in the road where it's you or them, you know, I think that in order to be available to people, to be of maximum service to others, you have to take care of yourself. So if you're ever at that point where you, you're, it's no longer a small sacrifice, but it's a really large sacrifice to continue serving in the way that you are, it's time to make a change. And that's how organizations grow. I mean, that's how you add staff. It's a simple concept. It sounds very philosophical, but in reality, it's quite practical. And I'm, I'm a very practical operations-based mind. And so when I get to the point where my staff person has to choose between two critical tasks because they are over capacity, it's time to change, right? It's time to add new staff. That doesn't always feel good, but there's a clear direction to be taken because the, the moment is dictating that I need to preserve the staff I have and I need to preserve the integrity of the work. And to do that, I have to make a change. And that's where I was. I was at a point where I needed to preserve the integrity of the service I was providing to my clients. And I also needed to preserve the integrity of my family life. And it wasn't as hard of a decision as it seemed like. TAG has grown tremendously since I've been here. Um, certainly not because of me, but um, but I've been a part of that growth. And I think that where we have really shined in this tremendous growth period is that when there's been a need, we've been able to pivot. And that pivot point is critical. And it is a choice. And everyone won't be happy. Everyone, you know, Greg's fond of saying, uh, that he and Eric had a conversation once and Eric said, every rep wants to be the last one in the door. And we feel that at our level too, right? Every new thing we build, I want it to be the final version. But if I'm attached to it, then I limit us so greatly. And so choice is opportunity, right? Every time you get to make a decision, there's an opportunity to do something great next. And um, if we all get too attached to whatever it is, whether it's a client model, you know, labeling people a certain way, doing a process and not changing a software, it can be really some of those tangible things. Or how will I ever leave the office on Fridays? What will my clients do? Well, just leave on a Friday and see what happens. And if you don't like the choice, you can make a different choice. That's the best part. Yes. Yes. Well said. I, my, um, People I work with here will tell you, I often say they don't get promoted until they work themselves out of a job. And that can make people very, very uncomfortable along the way, but that's just the way it goes. If you make yourself invaluable only to what you're doing today, that's probably what we're going to let you keep doing into perpetuity. And it's, it's good to make yourself uncomfortable. It is. And who wants to be irreplaceable? Not me. I would like to be able to leave. And know that what I've built exists beyond, you know, that I'm I'm not the linchpin of all of this, right? Maybe the visionary or the thought process around some procedure or some process or something that was built. Um, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't, it doesn't end with me. That frees me to do something different. Um, and it frees the folks coming up behind me to step into to not feel intimidated to step into something, to not feel intimidated to have fresh ideas. Um, I think change is good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's change direction a little bit on that note. 
You mentioned earlier, you're a member of some of our councils. One of the um, more important ones recently, and it's always been important, but it's becoming more formalized, as you know, as our Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Advisory Council. So thank you for giving us, uh, you volunteered recently, I believe, um, and we appreciate your time and contributions to that council. It's an, it's a, an important and critical voice around some really sometimes uncomfortable, but important topics. So what made you get involved and what do you think about the work you're doing there? How does it relate to what you're doing at TAG? Well, the truth is the reason I got to the council and, and the experience I'm having are those two things are very different. So I came to the council because um, I, well, I am a female and Cambridge has the Cambridge community of women, which I've been a part of for many years. And I'm really proud to see you all investing in but sometimes when we get segmented out into this little tiny group I feel like uh, we limit ourselves right so I I like the idea of diversity equality inclusion as, as a whole where we're we're back in the mix right and um and so the being a female it felt important to to continue that effort but also what my main purpose was was that I think the biggest lacking, area that I could see from my perspective at the time was age diversity. You know, we just had our, we just had our tag annual branch meeting and we did a, like a hand poll where we basically gave some age ranges, right? Who in the room is over 60? Who in the room is 50 to 60, 40 to 50, 30 to 40? It is, it's tremendous. And I know it, I know the statistics about our industry, you know, 71% of advisors are over 60. Um, I know those numbers, but to see them, in a room with 150 advisors, it's shocking. And what's shocking isn't the, the aging community of legacy advisors. What's shocking is how small the group of advisors are that have to assume all of that work. And if we don't bridge that gap it, and, and create more age diversity in our industry, um, then we lose to private equity. We lose to really large you know, we lose to the mergers and acquisition world and all of the components of it that matter right now. So if we want to be independent advisors and we want to retain this amazing career that we all have, we have to bridge that gap somehow. And, you know, there's big concerns in that area, compensation and what the structure of that, bridging that gap looks like and attracting young people. So I came to the council with this idea that my contribution to the DEI council would be around um, attracting more females to the industry, which I spoke about earlier. I do think we have some really great skill sets that fit well here. We're also, uh, we run a women's initiative. There's an advisor within our branch that um, spearheads that. And she often says, you know, that the average income of a financial advisor is more than double that of the average income of a female in other industries. So we're a we're a great place for women to make a good living, right? To have a good career and to do really good work. So I feel important. I feel like that's really important. Um, but I also really care a lot about what the future of our business looks like, and this age gap concerned me. So I, I imagined bringing that as a key concern of mine to this group. Being in the group, what I've learned is that I am much more of a student here than a contributor, really, that this DEI conversation is really big. And 
you know, it's like one of those, as you know, from one of our recent conferences, one of those 360 cameras, you know, and every second it looks different because it's just a slightly different angle. And so serving on this council, um, what I see is that there are 359 perspectives that I don't have. And I don't, I don't have an end game, except that I believe this is one of the best jobs out there. And I believe that anyone should have the opportunity to do this job if they want to, and to feel included, and to feel a part of, and to feel um, like their voice and their concerns are heard. And I would have had a limited list of folks that I would have put on my list of people I thought that should be included. My list is growing, right? I'm being exposed to uh, a lot of perspective that I didn't have. So I'm here to learn more than I am to contribute, um, but I'm on the internship and recruitment task force, which allows me to really focus on the piece that I know something about where I can be a contributor, which is how to attract young people. I was one when I got here. I know what I needed um, to succeed here. And I can share that with other folks. Um, I also know what I brought to the table. And I think sometimes what we're looking for is, you know, a bachelor's in finance and a, a, a CFP. Or, and, and you don't need all that stuff. I don't have any of that stuff. And I've been wildly successful here. So I want us to focus on the skills and the talents that really allow people to thrive in this business, as opposed to these metrics that don't actually reflect who we are. And I wanted to bring that to this to this council to say, uh, if we want to bridge this gap, if we want more women, if we want more young people, um, if we want career changers that have the perfect skill set and they're making forty thousand dollars a year and could be making four hundred, that's the story we need to tell. Um, and so I focus my work on the council in those areas, but I'm certainly open to um, the growing discussion that's happening in all the other areas. As you know, I'm a sponsor of that council, and one of my aha moments as it relates to your passion, which is bringing more young people into the industry for all the good reasons that you brought up, is that I think the sheer efforts around DE&I are attractive to the young people. So mm -hmm. how do we, there's where it segues um, in such an important way, is how do we promote more about what it is that we believe in as it relates to DE&I and our you know philosophical approach to learning because like you even though I've been doing this for longer than I want to admit um, I learn something every meeting I attend from somebody in a different voice and the inclusion part is probably my favorite as it relates to all of this but how do we get that message out because I think that will attract the younger generation hopefully to give them at least an opportunity to consider our career instead of the private equity or the investment banking, you know, or the other financial services tracks that they're being drawn to. Thank you for your contributions to that particular council. And are there any other councils that you're currently sitting on that I should talk to you about? I'm on the operations advisory council. We probably talk about it plenty. We're ha I'm happy to talk about it here. It's just another way for me to bring the voice of the advisor to the leadership at Cambridge as it relates to what our experiences with the systems, the technology, the processes. It's the stuff that that the average financial professional just doesn't want to deal with, right? They just want to push a button and have it work. They just want to follow a decision tree and have it end a certain way. And I think Cambridge's core value of flexibility 
create some bumps in that process, right? Everything isn't perfectly streamlined because quite honestly, we said yes, where most places would say no. And so how do we just continually improve on that advisor experience so that we can keep saying yes, where most people would say no without our yes being a double-edged sword, right? Where without our yes turning on us, because <laughs> I think that's what happens. Our yes is often turn on us. And suddenly we're not meeting an expectation that that a financial professional may have in the field because we've wedged ourselves in a little bit. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't imagine that the answer is more no's. And so the answer must live somewhere in the collective thinking of all of us, starting with, you know, the advisor input, running up through things like these advisory councils, ultimately making its way to the Cambridge leadership, and then, you know, hopefully coming full circle back into the field as an improved experience. Yeah, I agree with you. It's more, it's more yes. It just has to be automated yes. Um, <laughs> exception yes, all the yeah. time. Repeatable, um, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so thank you for your contributions to that council as well. I know you always come to us with the spirit of making us better. Um, and I really, truly mm -hmm. do appreciate that. Again, our best ideas and our best input comes from our clients and that's you. So as we near the end of the podcast, April, let's talk about my second favorite question, which is we do occasionally allow ourselves some free time outside of all this work that we do. People are probably a little exhausted after listening to everything you've accomplished in such a short period of time and what you do on a daily basis and all of that. But I know you do have other hobbies and interests and you've got a beautiful family. So tell us about that. Sure. You know, it hasn't been that short of a time, Amy. It's been almost 25 years. That's a long <laughs> time. Uh, it's a long time to be showing up to the same place, you know, generally speaking. Yeah, I do. I have a wonderful family. So in my spare time, my husband and my son and I have a little hobby farm. Uh, that's what we're calling it affectionately these days. Um, at any given moment, there are, you know, 30 to 50 sheep on my front lawn. And, um, you know, I'm an avid gardener and I and really pigs, like pigs, right? Pigs. Yeah. So, you know, the, th the thing about pigs is, I mean, you can only have so many for so long, right? So, Every couple of years, every couple of years we have pigs, but all the time we have sheep, all the time we have chickens, all the time we have honeybees. And the best part really, so my favorite, favorite hobby is being a mom. Uh, what a gig, you know, and I couldn't love it more. I couldn't have imagined I was late to the party, late to the mom party. And in some ways, you know, I'm much more financially stable than I would have been in my 20s. But man, I'm tired. <laughs> it's the truth. I'm tired. Um, and I've got the most energetic child. Like, honestly, the only reason I could ever imagine leaving this job is if I could bottle that and sell it, I would not need this job anymore. He has got a tremendous amount of energy. And he's you know, it's been fun for me. He's grown up the way I grew up, you know, outside on a farm um, with a little bit of Southern influence, which I really appreciate here in upstate New York. Um, and we do have a good time. We have a good time here. I found in all these years, I'll just add this, that the thing that makes me feel the most successful is being authentic. Um, I've had really good mentors and there's when you get a good mentor, like when I started in the business, that first advisor that I worked for, I thought I needed to be him. 
You know, I have a really good mentor now in our CEO, Greg Rains, and there are days when I think uh, I can't, I can't be him, you know, and I'm so grateful at this stage of my career that I've learned that um, I can just be me. I bring my own unique skill set, and that authenticity allows me, I show up as who I am. Almost every, none of our advisors at TAG will be surprised to hear that I have a hobby farm. They all know. They occasionally hear my sheep in the background when I'm on the phone with them. Um, I just, I need to be true to myself, and it allows me to be passionate about what I'm doing all the time, whether it's work or, you know, lacrosse or hockey or farming, I get to show up as the very same person for my advisors that I showed up for my clients that I show up for my family. And it gives me some fluidity across all those places. And I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for good mentorship. I'm grateful for um, an industry that's allowed me to use my talents in a way that I couldn't have never imagined. Like I'm real bad at math, you know, it's okay. I've been highly successful um, being really bad at math. And and for the folks who came before me that said, you can be you, right? You can learn from me, but you can be you. I'm grateful for that. You're a perfect example of Cambridge Stronger and your authenticity, how humble and candid you are. The transparency is all what makes it special. I know the listeners will learn a lot. Um, if nothing else, it'll give them hopefully just a tiny little bit of courage to be themselves, which is the biggest message I continue to hear from you. And I really appreciate you sharing yourself with us today. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for being a part of Cambridge Nation for so long. And while 25 years is a long time, when you start when you're 11, and I know this from experience, it still doesn't matter. It still feels like a short period of time. So it does. It just means we have to work an extra 20 years longer than that normal people who start. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. We are Cambridge Stronger.